Well, turning that Bible over to uh, Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, uh, it was good to be away for the first time for Patty and I actually this year, um, which is a little late to do. It's just the way the schedule had worked. I, of course, been to Mexico to preach and Dubai to preach and some places around the globe to preach, but not time for Patty and I, and it was actually the first time in 10 years that I took two weeks in a row, uh, which is probably just healthy for us, healthy for you, and healthy for our church. But thank you for uh, your prayers, and I'm so thankful for this church family and even for our staff and the men that we've sent out. So Ephesians chapter 4 I want to just read a couple of scriptures to you in 4.12, where it says, To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ. I've titled this message, The Purpose of the Church the purpose of the church. I mean, if you're going somewhere, anywhere, you'd like to know where you are going. Certainly, you'd like to know where you're headed. You'd like to have even a purpose behind the adventure. And you certainly probably would like to know when you arrive and when you depart. One of the trips that we went on on our vacation is we went to see our son in Seattle. And one day while he was at work, we took a ferry in that area of the Pacific Northwest in a place called Anacortes. And that ferry was headed off to the San Juan Islands. I mean, it left Anacortes on a schedule at 11.55 a.m., And we knew it would arrive in this place called Friday Harbor at 1 p.m. We knew that when we got off the ferry at 1 p.m. that we had to be back on that ferry because it would leave at 1.50 p.m. It would make its way back uh, to the harbor, but it would stop at this place called Lopez Island, then arrive back at 3.20 in Anacortes, It all ran on schedule. It was a blast. We knew where we were going. We knew when we arrived. We knew when we needed to depart. And then we knew when we were back. However, I've read about a a recent cruise line. It's a cruise line that offered cruises to nowhere. Okay? To plan a trip to nowhere, it's easy. You purchase your uh, tickets, you pack your bags, you're not really going to any real destination, you do no research on the countries or the cities you will visit because you won't be visiting any countries or cities on this trip. You plan no excursions, you avoid, you, you know, get on this ship or this cruise in Norfolk or in Fort Lauderdale and you cruise to 
nowhere (laughs) for relaxing. I suppose a cruise to nowhere might have a certain appeal to some because there's no way really to accomplish anything or do anything at all. You live on a boat for a few days and then return home having seen no sights and having gone nowhere. You don't know. You just float around in the sea. And as I begin to think about that cruise to nowhere, I think some churches resemble these cruises. Churches sometimes can be filled with people going nowhere. They're just attending. You might even ask the question, how can I spot a church that is going nowhere? Well, it's real easy. There's no vision, there's no plan, there's no instruction, there's no direction, there's no journey, there's no destination. You're floating somewhere, but you really don't quite know where you're going. And if you come from a church like that, you would understand that. And then on the opposite uh, side of the equation, some churches use all the latest business strategy. They use all the latest marketing techniques and they have utterly stripped the church from the power of the Word of God. And so for us, rather than just rehashing the latest insights from secular management, from social media, from secular psychology, I want to turn us to the truth that's revealed in Ephesians 4 and draw on some of the practical implications regarding the purpose of the church in the 21st century. Um, The purpose of the church in the 21st century was the purpose of the church at Ephesus nearly 2,000 years ago. I I think I've told you before, we we don't really... When I look at our strategy, and it's been our strategy for the last 14 years, we've really done the same thing. We open God's Word. We plead with His Spirit. The saints are equipped. The saints do the work of ministry. And the saints build up the body of Christ. Now, as you look in Ephesians chapter 4, we've already stated it this morning, did James, that the purpose of the church is real simple. It says in Ephesians 3.21, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, Jesus, excuse me, uh, throughout all generations forever and ever. The simple profound truth is that the purpose of the church is the glory of God. You ask the question, what is the glory of God? The glory of God is the character of God revealed to us in his creation and his actions that we see in the word of God. And so the purpose of the church is this, that God intends to display himself in all his fullness through the church. That was Paul's conclusion at 321. And for God to be glorified, we've been saying in the past weeks, the church must be unified. So as you look at chapter 4, 1 through 16, that is the noble theme. It is the theme of unity. 
In fact, I would say this to you, that Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, is the most concise statement in the New Testament on God's purpose for the church. You know, I I can't think of a better one. Obviously, all of the New Testament is a theology, but I think this is the most concise statement that we'll find in all of the New Testament on the role and purpose of the local church. It's right here. And I like to say in the membership class, maybe I've shared this with you before, it's not like we don't know what we're doing. And I, of course, don't mean that with any sense of pride, um, but we do know because it's revealed in the Word of God. Here is the most succinct purpose that you, I think you could find on the purpose of the local church, and it's around that theme of unity. Now, remember in Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, there's a series of compelling arguments for this unity. We looked and we're in this this series here on the call to unity in the church to, to walk worthy. Then we looked at the character of unity in the church, that it begins with humility and with patience and with gentleness. In other words, a church can never accomplish what it needs to accomplish through fleshy means. The reason that churches are so weak across our landscape and even sadly across the globe is they're filled with human techniques and filled, filled with, if you will, management techniques. And what we really need is we need the body of Christ. We need pastors to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which they've been called. And we need a body, Paul says in 4.2, to walk in humility and gentleness and patience and so forth. Then we look that far from unity being preserved because nobody believes anything specific, we looked at the confession of unity in the church. And there were seven ones. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Unity, far from what the world would say, is actually bound up in a confessional statement. Some people call that a creed. And there it is. And we went through that. And then we left off at the contributor to unity in the church, and you just want to make sure that when you say the contributor, when I say the contributor of unity to the church, I just want you to know that Jesus Christ has provided this church, all churches, with everything they need. Well, how did he do that? Well, he gave gifts. Look at verse 7. Grace was given, and here the focus isn't on leadership. It's given to each one of us. And we talked about the contributor to unity is that he gave gifts to you. And then look down in verse 11. That's where we left off at. He gave. Who did? Christ. What's he talking about there? Christ died, was buried. On the third day, he gloriously rose. And then he ascended into glory. And when he ascended into glory, he gave gifts. So he not only gave gifts to you. Look at verse 11. He gave And I'm putting the emphasis there on Christ because he's the one who provides the church the ability to be unified by giving you a gift and then by giving these gifts, the apostles, verse 11, the prophets, those who are foundational, and then the last two gifts are gifts for today, the evangelist and the shepherds and the teachers, and we liken those to one gift. 
that, is, that he's given. Now, as we move from the contributor to unity, we're just going to our fifth and final component here. It is this, the consequence of unity in the church. Because, I, he, again, he's walking us through this argument, and he's actually stating what will happen when the church lives out those four principles. Here's what flows out of that. In fact, here's what flows out of Christ giving the gifts, out of Christ giving the leadership, you walking in unity, you manifesting not a deed of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit, you holding to this type of confession, the consequences are going to follow. I think what I'm trying to say here is that the very one Jesus who said, I will build my what? He is the one who gives us the operational manual. He is the one who gives the equipment, if you needed, if, you, if, you, if, you, if I could say it that way, the equipment needed for a unified church. Let me tell you where I'm going this week and a few weeks ahead. Let me give you a broad view of 412 through 16. There's three sweeping consequences of the gifts. Number one, to equip the saints for ministry in verse 12. In other words, this is what leaders do. Secondly, to empower the body towards maturity. That is actually going to be in 13 through 15. To empower the body towards maturity. And then finally, to enable the body to multiply. This is the purpose of the church. Equip you for ministry to empower the body to be actually mature and to enable the body, if you will, in verse 16, to multiply. Now, as we step into verse 12, look at it there. It says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And the question arises, how does one interpret Ephesians 4.12? And the implications of the interpretation are absolutely profound for us in terms of its application. There was, in the past, for, for many years, a misunderstanding of verse 11 and verse 12. The, the misunderstanding stated that the leaders mentioned in verse 11, the apostles and the prophets, the evangelist, and then the one office, pastor slash teacher, what they said is rolling from 11 into 12 is the leaders equip the saints, the leaders do the work of ministry, and the leaders build the body of Christ. In other words, they flowed out of verse 11 into 12 and made this the threefold function of the leadership of the church. Let me put it this way in terms of a picture for you. The church in that old model, and I would think an incorrect interpretation, was structured as a pyramid, if you will. Maybe I should have drawn that for you. A pyramid with the pastor on the top, and the people beneath. 
It's wrong. It's not really what the text says. It's not really what the grammar says. It doesn't manifest the plurality of leadership as well. Uh, And here, uh, the saints are not involved in that picture. The leaders equip the saints. The leaders do the work of the ministry. And the leaders build up the body of Christ. It's a pyramid. It's a wrong view. Other people still wrongly viewed the purpose of the church maybe as a picture of a, of a bus with the pastor driving that bus and the passengers, the people, sleeping along in the back seat for the ride. That obviously in that picture is a very clergy-driven model. Pastors equip, pastors um, you know, do the work and pastors build the body. It's also a very Catholic view. It would be here, not the priesthood of the believer, but the priesthood of the function of that pastor and they're, they're the father in that model. But it's not just the Catholic churches. Some churches, I'd say many of them in the United States, run on that model. But the Bible here, beloved, teaches that each of these phrases is dependent on the preceding one. And it is only the first phrase that the leaders are responsible for. The leaders equip the saints, but look at the text in verse 12. They equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So the first phrase is what the leaders do to equip the saints. And then the saints are the ones who are building the body of Christ. And that second and third phrase, they are the responsibility of the church. Let me state it this way. The shepherds and the teachers listed at the end of verse 11, the evangelist, are not doing the work of ministry. You are. You're doing the work of ministry. It is you, the saints, alongside what the leaders need to do to equip you that actually do the work of ministry and build up the body. And so, beloved, as we step into this, this is the priesthood of all believers. The work of the ministry in that second phrase is the divine privilege of those who are in God's family. And I think this is consistent with verse 7, that grace was given to each of you. Verse 16 says it's the whole body, it's every joint, it's every part that makes the body grow. So look at it this way, beloved. All of these phrases are successively dependent upon the other. Each phrase is moving towards the final phrase to build up the body of Christ. So let's just dive into this this morning. The first consequence of Christ giving the gifts is to equip the saints for ministry. To equip the saints for ministry. And under that banner, I'm going to have three subpoints for you. I want to talk about what it means to equip the saints. I want to talk to you about what it means to do the work of the ministry, and I want to talk to you what it means to build up the body of Christ. I think as you listen to my voice and as we listen to the word, the Apostle Paul is uber clear here. This is so clear. This is what makes a healthy church. This is what makes a unified church. 
Number one, he says there in verse 12, the leaders, the teachers, the shepherds and teachers, the evangelists are given in this first phrase to equip the saints. Stop there just for a second. You say, how is that to be understood to equip the saints? It's the immediate connection at the end of verse 11 that he gave some as the evangelist, some as the shepherds and slash teachers, okay? In other words, those leaders, we stated a couple weeks ago, are to lead and feed the flock. It's bound up in the word. Shepherds shepherd. They care. They protect. Teachers, taking that as one office, teach and instruct on apostolic doctrine. And so they lead and feed. Now, the question would be is, How does the leadership do that? Well, look again at verse 12. He says their role is to equip the saints. That word equip is a fascinating word. It's in a noun form here. You can see it, at least in the ESV, to equip the saints. And then it's more used in its verbal form in the New Testament. You say, what does it mean? What what are we doing even here? Well, it's real simple. Uh, We're equipping you, okay? What does that mean? It means to prepare you. The, The word equipping means to restore you. To equip someone or something is to outfit you for a purpose. So the purpose of the leadership then very clearly, is to equip you, to prepare you, to restore you, to outfit you for a purpose. I put some scriptures up here just so you can see it, where the word is used. It's used in Luke 640. A disciple is not above his teacher. You know this scripture. But everyone, when he is fully trained, do you see that word? That's our word for equipped. When a disciple is fully perfected, it says there, he will be like his teacher. In other words, you're training in discipleship, you're perfecting. Uh, But the word, as I mentioned, is also an outfitter. You know, a couple years ago, Darren Peterson and I had just a wonderful opportunity. We went down into the Grand Canyon uh, and we water rafted, I've shared a little bit of that with you, down the Grand Canyon, 173 miles, if you will, and we were on some massive um, falls of water. We were underwater at times. I mean, it was frightening. You were holding on for dear life, and as we went down the Grand Canyon, we had a biblical scholar there who will be with us in January, showing us the rock formations and showing you a thousand reasons for an early earth of about 10,000 years, stopping all along the way of the Grand Canyon, looking at the rock foundation, producing all of the facts that would clearly reveal a flood took place, and I mean, it was one of the most unbelievable trips, but we had two guys that were outfitters with us. They sat on these rafts, and you didn't know kind of what was happening. I knew that they were outfitters, and we'd go about 20, 30 miles down the Grand Canyon and in that water, and then we'd get out at night, 
And then they'd put us all in a line. And out of these boats, they had these secret compartments, came all of our stuff. And so they put us in line and they took all the cots out. And the cot went from, there's about 30 of us, one guy to the next guy. And then they took out all the, the pans. And then they took out all the kitchen equipment. Then they took out all the burners. And, and then they took out all the sleeping bags. And then they took out all the jugs of water. And then out came the food for the evening and we were put on an assembly line and it was an absolutely unbelievable trip what were those guys they were outfitters they equipped us to go down 173 miles down the Grand Canyon and they had everything we need I had a little duffel bag and that's all I had and Darren and I just slept at the at the bottom of the Grand Canyon listening to that water then the next day rafting and exploring God's creation it's a wonderful ministry. It was interesting. We were on uh, a scholar trip with 30 guys. You say, well, why would they take 30 Old Testament scholars on this trip? They're trying to convince these men that are PhD professors, both at institutions and local churches, why the earth is a young earth and not an old earth. You think, well, they're believers. Yeah, they're believers, but you would be surprised how many Christian institutions do not teach a young earth. They teach that the church, that the creation itself is billions of years old. And so um, it was a fabulous trip. We were with outfitters. They equipped us. That's something of what this word means. The other usage of this word, I just want you to get it into your mind. It's used in biblical times in Mark 1.19 where the disciples prior to becoming disciples, were fishermen, and they were sitting on the shore, and they were mending their, what, nets. Obviously, if you're a fisherman, and you've got a hole in the net, then you're defeating your entire purpose. And so they were on shore, mending their nets, and this word is, was used. Why? Because the word conveys this, that you need to be outfitted for a purpose. You need to be restored unto a purpose. And so it was used here to mend a net. The other way that this word was used, it's just interesting. I probably too many illustrations here. They used it for doctors to set a broken bone, to set a broken bone. So just on our vacation, we were up seeing my son, who I've told you is an orthopedic surgeon, and I was right on this passage. I said, Kyle, tell me what you do. Tell me what you did yesterday. Well, dad, I had an old man that fell. I said, okay, what happened to him? He broke his femur. And so his, his femur was broken. And I said, so you, you took this little plate and you put it on his femur, right? He goes, no, dad, I took a piece of titanium that is the length of the whole femur. And, and in that femur, which is fitted for this person, are 20 holes, and he kind of went on to explain to me what he was doing to set this man's broken femur back to restore it, back to the original condition by putting that that titanium plate on there, then t I'm sorry to be so gross, but then taking these screws and inserting those screws that go all the way through the bone on the other side and come out a little bit. What was he doing? He's equipping this man to fix this bone. 
And so here what Paul is saying is, listen, the purpose of leadership, the purpose of the evangelist and the teaching shepherds is to equip you back, if you will, to the original condition. So what the text is saying is that Christ has given gifts to all, yes, in verse 7 and 16, but he's given gifted leaders in verse 11 to the church to equip you, the saints, for the work of ministry. So outfit, mend, restore. Let me show you how the word's even used in the New Testament. I want this to become clear. Look at the next scripture. And and these are where this word is used. We pray most earnestly. So he's praying here. Night and day that we may see you face to face. And here it is. This is the word. Supply what is lacking in your faith. So here Paul was praying for the church at Thessalonica. And I I, I want to see you. I'm praying for this because I want to supply. I want to equip you with what is lacking. In other words, that equipping is getting back to that original condition. Look at the next verse here in Galatians 6. One, brothers, this is not to leadership. If anyone is caught in any transgression, if someone stumbles is the thought over sin, you who are spiritual, and here's our word, should restore him. You've got a brother or sister that's sinned, and if you're spiritual... And if they're caught in a transgression, you're going to come alongside them and you're going to restore him in a spirit of gentleness. You're going to equip them. You're going to get them to function properly. Look at this next scripture in Corinthians. Finally, brothers, rejoice. And then here's the word. Aim for restoration. In, in other words, that's the goal. He, we... Paul wanted the churches to be fully outfitted, fully mended, if you will, fully equipped. And here he said, aim for restoration. In 1 Peter 5, look at this one. These are all the words. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself, and there's our word, restore. So here is a believer caught in a trial And here is the agent is even God who himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now the question would come to us, what means has God provided to be restored? Now there's a couple different things I can say. Certainly prayer comes into that. Uh, Epaphras was one who prayed for people to be fully mature. Certainly God uses trials. But here, the means that God has given to us is the teaching of the word of God flowing out of what the leaders do in verse 11. They equip saints for restoration to mend them for the work of ministry through the word of God. So listen, uh, the role of the shepherds, the role of the teachers is to teach and preach the word of God. And God has designed that the local church will give God glory and be unified when the saints, you are equipped to do the work of ministry. It's a great statement by Paul in 2 Timothy, all scriptures breathed out by God, the scripture. 
And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be, it says, complete, equipped for every good work. So the man of God takes the word of God, who is the very breath of God, and gives it to the people of God, that the people of God might glorify God, and the church might be unified. So, beloved, it's God's word that restores believers to health and to unity by fusing together broken limbs and restoring people in the body of Christ to usefulness. So that's the thought. Now you say, well, to what end are the saints equipped? To what end, why do we teach and preach the word of God? Why do we do this at Rangers? Why do we do this at women's ministry? Why does James preach the word of God in junior high? Why does 18 to 24 go through the word of God? Why does the men of grace go through the word of God? Well, look at the the second phase. To what end? It says there in verse 12, for the work of ministry. Here's the next successive stage. You're equipped for the work of ministry. The work of ministry is the second sub-feature here. The saints are equipped, you, you see what I'm saying, so that you can carry on the work of ministry. I'm preaching so you can do the work of service in the body at Grace Church of the Valley. The work of ministry, let me say this, is not the role of the shepherds and the teachers. The work of ministry is the role of the saints. The work of ministry is the privilege of those who are in God's family. It's you. So I have a role. The elders have a role, obviously. We equip the saints, but we're equipping you to do the very work of ministry. Here's the real question is that I might ask you is how can I help you with the ministry that Christ gave you? He's gifted you, verse 7, verse 16. How can we, how, how can our leadership help you to fulfill the work of ministry that he gave to you. So the ministry here, that's the the, word, it just means service, is designed by God to be done by the people of God, the saints, for the glory of God, and that's your role, okay? Spiritual gifts are given to build up the whole body. He's getting here the work of ministry is the priesthood of all believers. It is an every member ministry, we like to say. You say, well, Scott, what is that though? Look at verse 12. What is the the work of ministry? Well, the word work is, is, is the word ergon. It's a work, but ministry is the word diakonios, And it's the word for service, the word for ministry. It is a very broad word, okay? In fact, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, 5, there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. So when you think of the work in the ministry, uh, maybe I, I don't know if I should say this, don't look at me, I'm looking at you. He's gifted you to do a ministry in the life of this church. 
It's interesting, even this word, the, the word for service or ministry, 66 times it's used in the New Testament. And I was kind of two-thirds of the time have to do with the physical meeting of needs. To meet physical needs. Which again, sometimes we're thinking, ah, oh, it's got to be spiritual. Well, at least in the New Testament, it was used to meet the physical needs of the church or the community. In fact, it's used in 8.3 where they provided food, did the women. It was used, this, this word of ministry in Acts 6, to wait on tables. The word is used in Matthew 25 to meet physical needs, if you will, uh, of the hungry, of the lonely, of the sick of those who are in prison, showing mercy, hospitality, sharing meals. It can include teaching, evangelism, service, you name it in the context, use your spiritual gift. Let me see if I could zero in and I think you'll resonate with this. Remember when Paul teaches on the point of the resurrection and he says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. Remember that? He said, immovable, always abounding in the what? The work of the Lord. The work of the Lord. You say, what's the work of the Lord? The work of the Lord is ministry. It's service, if you will. It's knowing that your labor is not in vain. Anything you do in the name of Jesus Christ, whether it be spiritual or physical, is, is the work of ministry. In fact, Peter said it this way, as each one received a gift, use it, he said, to serve one another as stewards of God's varied grace. So his grace is varied, and the work of ministry is varied, but we need to be after it. In fact, go over to 1 Corinthians. Think on this one later today, the next slide, where Paul says that each one's, what, work you say, well, Scott, what do you mean, each one's work? Your work. No, your work. I've been given a work, and I hope I'm doing it. Each one's work, that's your work. When you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on, the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned up, he's clear here, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. In other words, he's put, not only saved you, but he's put a gift into your heart. He's put you in this body the very purpose of what I'm doing and our elders and pastors are doing and others is to equip you, but we're equipping you for and designing you for this purpose that you would carry on the work of ministry. You might say, well, Pastor Scott, you guys, even at the ministry expo, don't have my ministry. Well, then I would say start one. Is there something we're doing that you want or that you want to help our body grow in? This is the design of our church. By the way, if some of you are new in the last year, you could hear it in the tension of my voice. You're not here to be a solo saint. You're not here to not get into the game. 
I am equipping you and our leaders are equipping you, building you up, restoring you back to the image of Christ, putting that femur back together so that you could get busy in this place. That, that's really what we're doing. And so here the leaders find, as the French would say, their raison d'etre, their purpose to equip the saints for the work of ministry by the means of the word of God. Stott, the great man of God, the commentator, spoke of this where he said the New Testament concept of the pastor is not the person who jealously guards all ministry and squashes all lay initiatives, but the one who helps and encourages all the saints to develop, to discover, to exercise their spiritual gifts. I like what Stott said. His teaching and his training is directed to this end to enable the people of God to be a servant people ministering actively. And instead of monopolizing ministry, he is actually multiplying ministry. So listen, is there a way that we can help you do the work of ministry. We want to provide some strategies. But listen, I, make no mistake. What am I doing? I'm teaching. What am I doing? I'm equipping you. What are we doing? We're trying to take broken pieces of all of our lives and restore them to the image of God so that as you're equipped and outfitted and mended, you can do the work of service. I mean, one thing is just true of a leader's role. I tell our young men this. Um, our role is one of restoration. What a blessing. The, our role is one of fixing things. I know my son just did that femur restoration, then he did an ulna restoration on somebody's elbow. He's an orthopedic surgeon. Well, listen, leadership likewise takes from the word of God, pours into the people of God so that you as the people of God can do the work of ministry. Listen, I just want to make a comment on the life of our church. We're not perfect. Our leaders are not perfect. As an individual, you're not perfect. As a family, we're not made up of perfect families. No, far from it. Even though we bear the image of Christ and have been born again, we are placing ourselves under the role of the local church built off the apostolic teaching of the apostles and the prophets so that we can pour the word of God in your life that you would get busy. And many of you are, so I'm not trying to say, gosh, is he talking to me? No, probably not. Some of you think I'm talking to you. It may be the Holy Spirit talking to you. And listen, if you've been in Christ 30, 40 years, let's go. Let's go. I feel like at times in Hebrews, it said, by this time, you have ought to have been more mature, but I have to teach, the writer of Hebrews said, the elementary things. Listen, if my, my, it would be my greatest joy, our greatest joy, to unleash you to the ministry. 
to give you a, a platform to minister. That's why we work hard at training our junior high staff and our high school staff and Derek and Matt and Tana and the 18 to 24 staff and the women's have a leadership and Matt has that. Why? Because we want to unleash our people for the work of ministry. You say, well, Scott, what would happen if leaders really equipped and what would happen if the saints did the work of ministry? Look at verse 12. He said there, for building Do you see it at verse 12? Up the body of Christ. There's the third stage. It's for the building up of the body of Christ. And really this is, at least in the grammar, the climactic result of the previous two stages. Saints are equipped by the leaders. The saints do the work of service. And when the saints are doing the work of service, The body is built up. So you say, what what is this talking about? He's talking, he's using a word, a construction term here. It's used all over physically in the word of God of construction. He's obviously using it metaphorically here. That as as the leaders equip the saints, as the saints, you, do the work of ministry, here's what happens. The body of Christ is built up. So in other words, you have as God's design a spiritual gift given to you that as you ever become back to the image of Christ, you would have as the chief end here that the body of Christ would be built up. In other words, the body is built up, verse 16, when the whole body is using its gifting in the work of ministry to achieve this purpose. So let me just say this, the body does not grow through marketing doesn't grow through business strategies, doesn't grow through a program or event, though certainly that is not wrong. It grows in this way when leaders equip, when saints do the work, and when you begin to do the work of the ministry, this body begins to grow up. You mean, what a body, the body of Christ, that this church begins to act like Christ. This church begins to talk like Christ. This church begins to see people without Christ, and you want to share Christ with someone. I was on vacation last week, and I... uh, took a little time to go in this uh, hot tub. And uh, I didn't even know the hot tub was there. I was just sitting on the back of the porch of this home. And the pool guy comes up. And, and I'm like, oh, he kind of scared me. He was in the backyard. And I'm like, oh, who are you? And, and there it was, this uh, spa in, in the back. And he's throwing chemicals in there. And I asked his name. And ah, my Lord just broke my heart for him. 39 years old, his name's Jonathan, doesn't know Christ, is about ready to be evicted from the little town home he, he lives in, and I had a chance to share Christ with him, and I praise the Lord for that, because I said, your mom probably named you after John the Apostle, he probably didn't know that, and, uh, and I said, listen, you need to fix your focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, and I had a chance to share with him. You think, why would I share with him? Because that's what we do. When I look like Christ, or when you look like Christ, your heart's going to break over the purposeness, purposelessness of people, their sin, and out of your heart, you're going to share good news. So listen, 
Here's how our church is going to grow. It's not going to grow because we got a beautiful building, but praise the Lord for that. It's going to grow when you do the work of the ministry. And when we're all being a part of this, then we're all going to grow. And the body of Christ is going to begin to look like Christ. And God's going to be glorified through Christ Jesus. And this church is going to be unified. And so rather than the church being seen as a pyramid or a bus, it's pictured as a growing organism, a body that we need to strive. So listen, the ascended Christ gave gifts to all. He gave gifts to leaders. The leaders equipped the saints. The saints do the work of ministry and the body of Christ is built up. And then there's one second truth. Look there in verse 13. He talks about the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. The first consequence of the gifts was to equip the saints for ministry. The second consequence is to empower this body to spiritual maturity. You say, Scott, does the, does the church know where it's going? Absolutely. I'm not at loss here. Our goal, our desire is for you to be spiritually mature, right? It's not that hard. In fact, you're not even, it's not like we're smart. We're just reading the Bible. Our goal here is to not be spiritual babies in Christ. Our goal is to ever equip you into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll pick that up next week, okay?